She got CD UK cancelled for that song. Did <laughs> she actually? That's she came on back. CD UK on a Saturday morning with Ant and Deck and Kat Dealey in assless chaps. <laughs> <laughs> That's kids show. Ten thirty AM on a Saturday morning. Welcome to Black in a Box, and this is the world as told by black faces in white spaces. You're here with Dan. And Alana. Angelo. And last but not least, Dom. Absolutely, definitely, not least, Dom. Today, I mean, we've got a couple of sort of interesting topics which have come up a few times, and primarily, chiefly, we're going to talk about black fishing, and of course... This topic has come up in relation to Jessie Nelson, formerly of Little Mix, and basically she's caused a social storm for a number of reasons. The events of her latest track, Boys, featuring Nicki Minaj, not only could be said to be reinforcing the worst sort of cultural stereotypes about black men, which in itself would be a, a noteworthy crime, it is her consistent and constant I call it black fishing at the top some people have called it you know just sort of making herself racially ambiguous was the, was the term that ZZ Mills used but it's the yeah the constant sort of picking away at elements of, of, of blackness which are cool and popular in order to profit from that sort of cultural currency in a way that is not afforded to black women born in that, that, that same way. And we know this is an issue that they had in the band previously, um, as, as we've seen with Liam Pinnock since. Um, so I, I guess I'm going to open up the floor now to, uh, to you, Dom. I think you, you were sort of the first person who raised the alarm to me about this. Um, what are your thoughts on it on general? It's a rubbish song. It's not a very good song. And it's... Uh a very poor misuse of what could have been a good sample. Um, but that aside, <laughs> I, I think it was that poorly executed. It was possibly almost more funny than it was offensive. But, I mean, obviously, we here and myself are not the voice of all black people. Um, so I can absolutely understand the offence that people are taking from it. But... I think my first my first thought was just that, just how substandard and how below par the product was itself. Um, I guess trying to think a little bit more specifically with a music management lens on, did they want to try and carve up a new space for her that wasn't going to directly compete with the kind of music that Little Mix make? Or other white artists, white female artists, because I, I genuinely can't understand any other reason why they would have gone down this route because it's just it's just not very good. And usually when there's a pop song that I don't particularly like, I can understand why and how it's poss- possible to be so popular. But with this one, I'm just like scratching my head a little bit. I mean, nothing, nothing that I saw surprised me. Um, we've seen it a thousand times over, not just from white artists. There's all kinds of races and cultures that I've appropriated and 
been victims um, and also been perpetrators. Um, so I was just a bit confused. Like it, it was just kind of out of nowhere, Randy Orton style. And it's just, it is, yeah, it's, it's a very strange turn, I think. What, what did you guys think of it? Uh, if I may, <clears throat> so before I watched the video, I thought I would just take some notes and just jot down my sort of stream of consciousness thoughts as I was watching. So uh, if you'll allow, I'll just read my first note, which was, um, what in the Rachel Dolezal ass hell is going on here? (laughs) Promptly followed by the second thought of, I just don't understand how this happened. Mm. Yeah, I want names. Like, who, who is responsible for this? I need to know. And... And then Diddy's actually in the video. I was like, okay, maybe uh, they just, you know, bought the sample from Bad Boy and it was going to have nothing to do with actual Bad Boy Entertainment. And then Diddy's actually in the video for like a good chunk with uh, Miss whatever her name is, Rachel Dolezal going on and like not even actually having any words um, and, you know, just kind of like blacking it up and giving that whole like attitude thing. But it was just so over the top. And I was just like, what is Diddy thinking? Like, what is anyone thinking in this? And Nicki Minaj, oh, my God, is just she just stays making bad decisions in the last (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> over the course of the last year it's just one thing after another just I think really really poor choices but like you said Dom it's not that we haven't seen this before I think Ariana Grande re- like went through her sort of like hood rat phase not too long ago I don't even realize she's of- Italian I thought she was Latina she's Italian right Ariana Grande like so not black <laughs> at all not Latina yeah no she's fully Italian um but it was more, it was obvious, but it was more subtle than this. Like, this was just, I, I actually thought it was Lil' Kim for, at, like, when I first saw the thumbnail. Um, <laughs> like, Fuck. I was just shocked and confused. And that's a conversation for another day as well. <laughs> I, yeah, which, that says a lot too, I think. It really does. <laughs> well, I, yeah, just so before we bring... Angelo in it I think it's there was, there was so there were so many wrinkles to this like there were so they, obviously it's it's Nikki who herself had a whole sort of Chun-Li Barbie thing mm. going on uh she's been accused of lightening herself in the past and you've got Jesse who's coming the other way in terms of of, of, of making herself darker and, and essentially trying to trade on on uh, an ethnicity which doesn't belong to her, and she's been forced pretty much repeatedly. I feel like I hear this every like every six six months to a year. So she's being accused of this, and she's like, "Oh, I'm not aware of this," you know. <laughs> and it's the like Kardashianification of pop stars. But her parents are called Janice and John, so I mean, she's not kidding anyone. I kind of feel bad for her, you know. I kind of feel bad for her. Um, and this is this is showing my own growth <laughs> to not just start arrowing darts at her, but like she left Little Mix to like safeguard her own mental health, right? Who on earth is in her team that would have advised her that this is a good I- idea? Because we're talking about Jesse Nelson. We're not like talking about a Janelle Monet or a Prince or someone who is going to write her own records, play every instrument, record it, produce it, do all the arrangements. So she's got a team around her that are making these decisions. It just seems like this is really, really poorly advised. 
And then on top of that, she had a BBC documentary a couple of years ago about depression. And I think she subsequently attempted suicide. So if you've got an artist that's been through these kind of struggles, surely you don't put them in the firing line. Because I, I, I read something um, off the back of this. She was saying that, I think it was in 2019, she had a routine of waking up, going on Twitter and searching for the worst things that she could find about herself. Who on earth would work with an artist that has been through, is probably still managing things like that, and put her in the crosshairs for something like this? Because now, we're doing it now. That Which, which is why I'm keen to not just come in, in here and badmouth her, and kind of point the finger more at her management, because this is absolutely awful someone that's already got issues with mental health someone who's attempted suicide let's stick him in the limelight for another negative reason it just it just seems so poorly managed from start to end i think it's really interesting everything that everybody's saying because i've got the thing is i'm not looking at jesse nelson jesse nelson isn't the head of the music company she's not signed off on this she's gone for something she's been given it artists do what they're told to there's that great line in uh, dream girls where Jamie Foxx is talking to Beyonce's character and says, the reason I chose you to lead the group is because your, your voice has no flavour except what I put in it. That idea that actually, if you if you look even in Dreamgirls, that once Beyonce's character goes solo, she goes through lots of different looks and different styles. She becomes, in many ways, a clothes horse to which they can hang on these different styles. So I'm not going to put too much on Jesse Nelson. Uh, Diddy, on the other hand, uh, one thing I do like is that we have enough good black art out now that you don't I don't feel this need to reflexively defend it because it's black I I can drag Diddy uh, all around the block and not feel like I'm letting down an entire community um the, to be honest the thing that I found most offensive was the little shout out uh to Black Rob and it's like nah we're not we're not gonna do that we're not gonna do that when it was so well known that Black Rob may died broke uh, wasn't looked after by bad boy, uh, whilst they were kind of making royalty check after royalty check. And it just shows that, A, black people aren't a monolith, which is a good thing, and B, that some people will see green before they see black. It was so confusing to watch the video, and because I actually wasn't thinking about her, because to be full disclosure, I don't really listen to Little Mix like that. I, don't, I couldn't name you a Little Mix song, didn't know who this artist was before this conversation. I think I did hear the story about um, a pop star who did go through a dark time and try to commit suicide and things like that, but uh, it could have been her, it could have been someone else. But the reason why it was so confusing is because we've just, there's been so much public dialogue about cultural appropriation and about um, black women being so undervalued and our culture just being stripped from us and put on white women so that it will sell better like we, this is this is such a hot topic at the moment and it just seems like nobody has learned anything um like in her management the creative sort of visionaries behind the video I just don't understand how we got to this point and no one was like we should probably have a second look at this unless this is actually all completely intentional just to bring attention to this artist and they knew there was going to be controversy around it, which to be honest, when you collaborate with Nicki Minaj, like you are collaborating with like a huge internet troll and meme troll, social media troll, somebody who likes to go uh, the public. So 
maybe it was an intentional thing. I don't know. But if you said that this is somebody who struggles with mental health issues and especially surrounding her public perception, I don't know why you would put this particular artist in this position intentionally. That's what gets me because I'm kind of the cynic and the pragmatic side of me will always think it's the latter and that it is something that was intentional. Um, you see this with brands doing it all the time, like Gucci with their with the the blackface that Gucci were putting on their products and stuff. You see it all the time, and it's like here today, gone tomorrow. But the brand or the artist's name or whatnot gets a little bit of publicity for a few days, and they say there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? But it is. It's just the mental health aspect of it where I'm like, I know that these companies are bad and that these people only care about the bottom line. But are we really still doing this? It it just it's. It kind of indirectly reminds me of the Amy Winehouse situation when she was surrounded by so many poor people who were thinking just about making money and not about what was best for her. And then look what happened to Amy Winehouse. And when there's so much of an emphasis on both mental health and also racial equity and all of the above, how, how is this happening now? It just, it just seems like every move that could have been wrong has been taken. I, I I would say I feel like this is Jesse Nelson's brand. There's no, it's not been an about turn. Like this has been who she kind of has been for a while. Okay. It's just like, I just don't think like, obviously the lyrics and the video make it like super overt, but it's quite wild. Like, in fact, her ex-boyfriend was like Chris from Love Island, the farm boy who does the horse racing now who's decidedly not a bad boy, in case you've seen him, and he hasn't got any gold teeth. <laughs> right. But I, I, it's, it, it, but I think it is important, as you all keep saying, that um, it's, I'd sort of temper my annoyance in, in rushing to, to blame uh, Jesse for all of this. I did an interview with Jay Perry, who used to be an S Club uh, genius back in the day. He's an actor now, he's, playing, he's in Hamilton at the minute, go see it. And he was, he spoke quite sort of lucidly and honestly on an Instagram live that I did with him about, about the impact that being in a band so young had on him and sort of growing up through that. And I know when Jesse Nelson was in Little Mix, she wasn't like a kid, but sort of coming to fame in that way, I, I can only imagine that you haven't necessarily got the best advisors around you all the time, as you've mentioned there, Dom. And I think that it can lead to you making decisions which just turn out to be sort of tone deaf after the fact. Yeah. It must be very difficult to step out of that and be like, oh my God, what have I done here? Because who's going to be there to say that? The only people, all the people would be the people in the band who seemingly she's falling out with. And then you're not going to believe what they say because you're like, well... They just they just haters. They they just don't like me because I'm I've I've moved away from them. I think so I think there's two things I'd I, I'd um, want to say to that. I think one, um, and it's, it is sad, but I do think we are um, in this specific instance maybe giving Jesse Nelson as an artist a bit more agency than she has. Um, I don't think we realise how much power there is in the label to say this is the new look. This is what you're going to go for. Um, and especially, Dom, you made the point, she's not, you know, Prince, she's not Janelle Monáe, she's not writing her own music and doing all of that. She is just the vocals and, and the brand. So, and that is very changeable. So I'm not going to 
a knocker for that. And then the second thing is, um, again, there is a difference between appreciation and appropriation. Um, and I've just recently seen a play called Black Love. I've, it's my fourth ever five-star uh, review. And it talks a lot about this kind of dynamic between the dark-skinned black woman and how she navigates the world and then when the white woman comes into it and this white woman kind of knows all the lingo she knows the dances she can sing she starts dating a black guy but there's there's a very interesting bit where she comes into the house and doesn't she doesn't really know how to act like she puts on um, the dead mother's dressing gown, for example, um, like the 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 uh, the rocks that they have, she kind of just takes them out and doesn't like, kind of realize that the 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 link that there is, and there is a thin line between appreciation and appropriation. And on this instance, uh, sadly, uh, the team around Jesse Nelson has seen fit to cross that line to make a few extra bucks, in my opinion. Don't be fooled by the rocks that she's got. She's just Jessie from the block. Alana. Yeah, well, this, this sort of dynamic between cultural appropriation and appreciation is something that I definitely think needs to be explored more because as somebody who comes from a very multicultural background, I tend to... I I do actually genuinely like the mixing of cultures. I, I like, I mean, being of that, I like to see that I there are other cultures that I would like to kind of well like I went through a phase where I was really into Japanese culture and Japanese is probably the only culture that I actually don't have in my ethnicity (laughs) 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 but I just went through a phase of being like obsessed with Japanese cartoons and like the language and the history um and then not really knowing how to navigate wanting to kind of adopt some of that into my maybe like aesthetic, personal aesthetic without being, you know, insensitive. And then I, it's kind of like that quote, maybe I'm going off on a tangent here, but it reminds me of that quote, can't remember who said it, but when they were talking about pornography and they were like, I don't know how to define it, but I know when I see it. I feel like that with the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation i can watch a video like uh boys that's what it's called right boys and with a z with a z or z yes that's very important um that is very important and see even right there it feels it just doesn't feel right and especially as a black woman the amount of times I have to watch a video of a white woman taking on things that I specifically have been like condescended for displaying, whether it's the way that I talk or like certain language that I use, a certain way that I dress, um, a certain attitude that I have. It's so frustrating to see someone who is clearly white who's not a part of this culture to take it on and there are instances where I do see people I would say my mom so my mom is white she grew up around lots of people of color and some of the language that she displays and some of the ways that she like her attitude and her dress 
it feels very authentic, and so that is not offensive. So yeah, I don't know how we kind of navigate cleanly this line between appreciation and appropriation, but it's something that needs to be addressed because this this cannot go on, these videos. Well, I think what is really important though as well, because I agree completely. Like if I use the example of my best friend, Sonny, he's white and growing up, people used to call him a wigger because of the things that he said, the way that he dressed, he was into hip hop. But he played basketball and his closest friends, whenever we were playing ball, it was always hip hop. It was from a different side of town where people spoke differently. So that's going to happen. That I have no issue with because it is, it's real. It's natural. I don't even think it's necessarily a case of appreciation. It's just convergence. It's like we are in the same space with the same people. So we're going to end up sounding a little bit alike and living alike. One thing that I think is really important to draw attention to is as well, and I've already started to see this kind of creeping up on posts around Jesse Nelson where people might be saying that this is cultural appropriation, trying to explain why this is offensive or why this may be found offensive. And people are rushing to her defense being like, cultural appropriation doesn't exist. Cultures mix. This has always happened. This will always happen. But I don't want this conversation to be owned by white people. Like white people can't say what is and isn't cultural appropriation here, I'm afraid. Because it's black women that are, I honestly think, being parodied here. That, there's, there's nothing about this video which feels original. There's nothing about this video which feels legitimate. Right from the way yeah. that she's dressing and the way that the other people, the dancers and the actors in the video are going on, it seems like a parody to me, like something that would come out of Lonely Island. Like It doesn't feel like a real pop record. I think it's really important. It's like one of those things, I would never try and lecture um, a gay person about what is and isn't acceptable. But we're going to get on to Dave Chappelle. I will never tell a gay person or a trans person whether they should find any of his jokes offensive. Just like I don't think that a white person should be saying here, this is or this isn't cultural appropriation. It's, it's not one for you. I saw something on Twitter yesterday that was talking about um, cultural appropriation in music in particular. Do we want to talk about what some of our favourite culturally appropriated songs are? I know, Alana, you said you had one. I do. <laughs> do you guys remember that song from the 90s by an artist named Snow? <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> In Baba. In Baba. <laughs> <laughs> by the um, Toronto Rastafari, Mr. Snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I, I do listen to that at least at least once a year. Because um, it's a tune, that's why. It is, and I think it came out at a time when I was younger and I had just like no concept of even like racial identity at all. I, I, like I was an actual child when the song came on and all I knew is that it was a bop, so. <laughs> <laughs> so he was the original Drake then. That must be what we're saying. Toronto? If he's from Toronto, uh, it's called Drake and his appropriate culture. Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's a thing. They're probably from the same suburb. I mean, his, his description on Wikipedia is a Canadian reggae musician, which is just fantastic. That There's got to be a collab. <laughs> Surely. He's going to sample it. Now that we've said it, it's going to happen. We put it in the in the universe. It's going to manifest. Alana, are you you must know who Anton Deck are, right? I do, yes. Oh, God. 
Oh God. Are you aware that they used to have a music career? I do, yeah. <laughs> Please listen yeah. to and watch Let's Get Ready to Rumble by PJ and Duncan. One of the strangest things, looking back, the 90s were wild, man. That is one of the strangest things that I've, I can recall from that wonderful but confusing decade. It was mad. The, the, we had a guy uh, at uni, I went to university at Northumberland, Newcastle, and there's a lad who was from Whitley Bay, which is right on the coast, and every single opportunity on any, any kind of away trip, PJ Duncan, when we hit the Tyne Bridge, and he had just enough time to get through the first two verses before we got back to the university. Uh, obviously, vanilla rice. <laughs> no more to be said. But what about Christina Aguilera, Dirty? Remember the whole look for that video? How she looked like she'd gone through some, like, she looked like there was a fence somewhere that was missing some of its layers. Like, come on! It was it was not a good look. Um, she got she got CD UK cancelled for that song. Did she actually? She That's came on CD UK on a Saturday morning with Ant and Deck and Cat Dealey in assless chaps. <laughs> That's kids show. Ten thirty a.m. on a Saturday morning. That's gotta be one of the That's gotta be one of the originals in this Jesse uh this Jesse category. Like it's just I mean it's a big tune, but it's a big tune because the Red Man song is a big tune and it's the same song effectively. Uh, Justin Timberlake's entire career. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are whole whole ass careers where to, it's just appropriating. To be fair, <laughs> and I don't wanna and I and I and I don't want to be fair to Justin. He was Not just, Justin. he was a mere vessel. He literally was just, he was, as you were saying, like these like sort of white clean, sort of just empty, good looking people that they can just send out there. That's what he was. He was, you know, he was, a, he was a Disney kid and the album was actually made, Justified was for Michael Jackson, wasn't it? Yeah. And then when Michael Jackson didn't want it, they just found someone else. So, I mean, should he have played up to it? No. Are you going to turn down a Pharrell-produced album that was meant for Michael Jackson? No. Have you heard why Michael Jackson rejected that album? Yeah, he wanted, uh, he wanted, he wanted that Noriega shit. <laughs> Which is just mad. He wanted what? You know, he wanted Super Thug-style Pharrell and the Neptunes. And he thought that the, the stuff that Justin ended up with was just too clean. It was too safe. Pharrell has had his hand in um, a couple of sort of appropriative artists. I mean, I couldn't believe like when Miley was doing her whole minstrel extravaganza, he was like behind a lot of that. Her whole rebranding was basically off the back of that. He was also behind Britney Spears' two, two good songs. The only two good songs that she's had were both Pharrell. All you people look at me like I'm a little girl Well, did you ever think it'd be okay for me to step into this world? Oh.
is, is a lot to um, lot to be blamed. Wait, for. hold on, wait, yeah, wait, wait. Hold, yeah, the break. hold on. I was, I was, Pump. I was standing there like, am I going? No, am I have to coming off a top rope? Don't disrespect Britney like that. She's had more no. than two tracks. No, yeah. boys, the co-ed remix and Slave for You are the only two good pieces of music that no. Britney Spears has Roman ever been involved in. No, totally. Okay, we can't even get it. This is maybe for a whole other podcast because I can go on about that. Talk your shit. I don't care, man. Britney Spears can suck us, man. She is not a good artist and she's not been involved with good people and she's only released two good songs ever. How dare you? You were, Hold on, you came up to bat for Jesse about her mental health issues and you're not going to give my girl Britney a break? The views of Tom Harriet Thompson are not necessarily reflective <laughs> of the rest of the Black in the Box community. I'm not saying shit about Britney Spears, I'm talking about the music that she's released. Just like Jesse. Like with Jesse, the first thing I said was it was a bad song. The two good songs that Britney Spears has been involved nope, in. No, she did Born to Make You Happy. You're, you're just a hater. Move on. Let's, move, let's talk about something. <laughs> yeah, give yeah, us a chicka well, chicka. I was, I was, I was, I, I was just going to say, actually, I was, we're, we're, Pharrell was moving us into the right territory because you know, that whole time, if you were sort of into hip hop, you had Timbaland mucking about with a sitar. <laughs> or was, and then he was just stealing tracks. He was just stealing tracks from like from from Bangra musicians, like literally lifting them note <laughs> for note, and, and no one noticed. And obviously, beware of the boys. Sort of came out of all that. So that slapped. I um, my my pick was actually going to be Timberland as well with Indian flute. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Timbaland and Magoo. <laughs> I saw a tweet yesterday, so I am not going to take credit for this. But they were saying that this is like the most egregious form of cultural appropriation because not only does he have a woman speaking Punjabi in the chorus, at the end of the chorus he goes, and I can't understand the word you're saying. <laughs> Which is just the most out of order, out of pocket line to follow up. That's a flagrant. It's a flagrant too. <laughs> is sampling with permission though considered appropriation? Like if you're taking a a bit of a, you know, it's not like Drake where he's actually like, let me just create my own Afrobeats thing. But something like Beware of the Boys, where it's like he took a sample, and then that was just a part of the backtrack for. Because the actual lyrics aren't. Like have nothing to do with that culture. I have no issue with sampling. So what I will say is that there's a lot of love for UB40 in Jamaica because um, them guys sampling those songs made a lot of artists a lot of royalties, and that that always felt like an appreciation. They kind of kind of that was always part of their brand. They grew up in Birmingham. There was a huge reggae scene, and that was always a kind of. Uh, appreciation but they kind of gave back like by but then they use that platform for for goodness so it's it's a case-by-case basis one thing you can't do is kind of say that there is a one-size-fits-all how often have we and will we talk about that you cannot just be binary about things yeah yeah fair enough and i don't mind any any kind of sample being used it's what you do with it and what goes along with it, like the visuals, the rollout, that kind of stuff. And as well, if it's if it fits with the kind of brand that you've built, if it's just something that's so off kilter, then I'm then I'm always gonna look at it out the side of my eye. Shout out UB40 and, and shout out that 
taxi driver at Honley Taxis who'd always play red wine in the car. <laughs> we need to talk about Dave. Uh, we need to... I'll tell you why we need to talk about him, because seemingly that's what he wants. <laughs> that's what he wants. I didn't want to talk about him, but that is what he wants. This and, is sad. And this is it. Like I, Before I'd seen it, I, I remember seeing his name trending. I was like, oh, there's only one reason he's trending. He's releasing the special. And then my friend Tom said to me, have you seen the new Dave Chappelle? And I was like, no, I haven't. And he said, it's brutal. And I thought, that is telling. Mm. Because when people used to ask you if you'd seen... Dave Chappelle, they would say it's hilarious. It is funny AF. No one's saying that whatsoever. And I watched it last night at your behest and your request. And it just it just feels like one man's sort of agenda. And it's really sort of sad to, to see it come to this. I know I like to think that you can sort of guess which way people are going to come to this, but I think the interesting thing here, guys, is just how you feel that this affects Dave Chappelle's legacy. Can he, can he, can he reinvent himself? Can he reframe himself? Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts. Do you want to get us started, Angela? So, in... I think it was 2007, Patrice O'Neill was on Fox TV and this was when there'd been a spate of firings from uh, radio where uh, DJs had been saying inflammatory stuff. You also had like um, the Don Imer scandal when he called a bunch of black uh, women basketball players, NCAA women basketball players, nappy-headed hoes. And he was called on to defend some radio comedians. And he said that comedians should be judged on whether they are funny. They are trying to be funny. So we should judge them on their funny. When it comes to Dave Chappelle's LGBTQIA uh, jokes, they're not funny. There was, to be fair, there was one joke that I thought was funny and it was, is it one they or a lot of they's very funny joke. Um, but even that kind of betrayed the unfunny and it highlighted the, how unfunny the rest of it was. He says quite explicitly that his target isn't the trans community, that it's white people. Um, the problem for me is that he is using the trans community as a vehicle to make his points about the white community. And that for yeah. me fails because in his desire to be binary, he never once mentions the most at-risk group, which is black trans people. Black yeah. trans women, their average life expectancy in America, and I've been saying this for two years on this pod, is 35 years old. You could have made those same jokes and then highlighted the fact that the, at the bottom of this, he could have made the point and it highlighted that at the bottom of this um, oppression um, is, is, again, black women. Um, I'd also say this. Every time he says the black community as a group, separate to the gay community or the trans community, he reveals himself to be, for me, kind of limited. Um, Dave knows the name Bayard Rustin. Like, Dave is ridiculously intelligent. Bayard Rustin, like, we've spoken about on the pod before, um, an openly queer black man who was integral to Martin Luther King's non-violence. He organised the March on Washington. And 
but every time he says, you know, we the black community looked at the gay community and went, damn, it's like, there's just a lack of nuance there that is normally mm -hmm. so present in his best work. And it's not that it, Dave has made great work since he came back. Um, I'll finish, I'll throw, I'll throw it out, uh, out to you guys with this, but I think back to 846, where for 27 minutes, Dave, he really was in his, he was in his bag. He was focused on race. It was nuanced. Like that bit where he talks about the shooter and the police said, oh, do you want some protection? And he's like, no, he ain't looking for me. He's looking for you. There was, there was a, a nuance and a detail and it was funny and it was angry and it was sad. And it was the kind of thing that makes us go, Dave is one of the greatest to ever do it. And for me, it's sad that too often, willingly or not, he casts so many black people that want to be with him out of the boat. And that for me is kind of how I feel about it. What about you, Dom? Yeah. <laughs> Usually when we do this, I'm the person that's kind of kind of in his corner and, and less so much this time. I mean, when I first saw it trending, the first bit that went trending, and probably because it's towards the start of the, the special, was around the baby. But I do believe, and I'll, and I'll make this point later, that, that the kid made a, a very egregious mistake. I will acknowledge that. But, you know, a lot of the LBGTQ community doesn't know the baby's history. He's a wild guy. He once shot a nigga and killed him in Walmart. Nothing bad happened to his career. Do you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> in our country, you can shoot and kill a nigga, but you better not hurt a gay person's feelings. Without having watched the whole special, with that one piece, I was kind of like, well, I see what he's doing here, and I can't wait to see how he expands on this, because that's a good point about America and about which battles are important, which people within society are important. Probably going to make a point about the reason that gay people get the upper hand in his examples is because white men are gay people as well. Um, but that is, unfortunately, I think, where any kind of fascination or appreciation for this ended for me. Because first and foremost, I watched Dave Chappelle not for his social commentary, not for anything other than because he's my favourite comedian and he makes me laugh. And I think he is the best to have done it. Um, certainly in my lifetime anyway. But it just wasn't funny. It just wasn't funny. I think it was a bit too a bit too preachy. I think there's there's one comedian, another ridiculously high profile comedian comedian who it reminded me of, and that is Ricky Gervais. And I think it was possibly Ricky Gervais's last special, um, where there was a huge segment, a huge chunk, or maybe it was just a recurring joke that he did, where he effectively took um somebody had insulted him or insulted his work on Twitter and then he did a bit about his clapback, his response. Basically like, everyone look how funny I am going back at these people that don't like my jokes. And that's kind of what this felt like to me in terms of Dave always says that he doesn't care what people say. He doesn't care about being cancelled. But it seems like he does because otherwise we wouldn't have got the best part of four specials with him focusing so much on it. And it just, it kind of makes me feel, I don't want to say sad because I, I've listened to his podcast and there's so much great content on there and he can be so funny 
without targeting specific demographics, specific groups of people. So I know that he's still got it in there. Part of me is like, is he doing this to kind of, it feels like he's masochistic or he's just trying to besmirch his own name because he has that great content. I've been to see him three times during um, the period since he came back on Netflix. And I think only one of those times that I saw him did he really focus on the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and not for the whole show or the vast majority of a show like The Closer. So it just, it seems strange to me that the ones that are filmed as a special are the ones in which he focuses so heavily on this group. Um, is he is he trying to self-sabotage? I don't know. Is he had his, his, his time back in the limelight and now he just wants to go back to a quieter life again? Now he's got his peas? I really, I really don't know. I don't know. And... <laughs> I think I get that there is no comedian who is for everyone. Like, I mean, you've got your Michael McIntyres, then you've got your Bill Burrs, you've got your um, your your Dave Chappelle's. But one thing that kind of gets me is, I think in this special he says that it hurt him, it hurt him to realise that he'd actually hurt other people's feelings, that he didn't like that. If that is the case, rework some of these jokes. Go back into the lab and and change a few things because it was just it was so sloppy it just it wasn't funny and whilst he might say and I'm going to get onto this in a second he might say that his trans friend said that he wasn't punching down or up he was hitting punch lines if people are being offended if people are being hurt by what you're saying you've got to if you say that affect if you say that affects you you've got to take stock and be like right what is it that's affecting people and maybe take those jokes out. But it just felt, and, and the last part as well, when he's talking about his 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 um, trans friend who took her own life, it seemed, it seemed heartfelt. I actually think that the whole piece that he did on her seemed very heartfelt when he was talking about it. It seemed very real. What I don't like is when that's now juxtaposed against everything else that he said, and it's kind of used like, I can say this because I had a trans friend. Because that just feels very much like, how can I be racist? My auntie's boyfriend's black and he's a good lad. It feels a lot like that. So he has always been my favourite comedian. And I am loath to write someone off based on one thing. But he's starting to make it more than one thing. And I'm really starting to look at him a little bit differently now which is you can hear in the hesitance of the way I'm speaking it's it's not nice when you start to look at anyone that you've appreciated over the years it's kind of like when you grow up and you see that some people in your family are actually dickheads and that's how it's it's felt taking this one in you might be a bit surprised there Jello you were expecting me to come and leap to his defense weren't you no because I don't think it's defendable I guess just to pick up where you've just left off Dom um yeah, I, I had that feeling, like, that deep sense of kind of, like, disappointment, like, when you first start watching it, and I, I've never had that feeling watching Dave Chappelle where, that I've had with other comedians, where you don't really know what you're going to expect, and you kind of have that, like, cringing to see if it's actually going to be funny until it does become funny, and then you can kind of relax a little bit, and then through this whole special, it was the first time I've ever watched something of Dave Chappelle where... I could never really relax and it's not because I was offended because I know what I'm going to get when I watch Dave Chappelle stand up. Like I know what that's like uh, and I'm not very easily offended. 
But as you said, it just felt unfinished, and I felt like there was a lot of, or maybe not, it, it didn't seem very well, like he hadn't really gotten his jokes down. Like, I could see some of the jokes and the punchlines before they happened, um, and then there was the whole thing about Clifford the dog, which is kind of like this callback that was running through, um, well, not Clifford the dog, Clifford the Negro, but um, <laughs> that was running through the the whole set and I felt like that wasn't developed enough so even just from a comedy perspective it was like the first time I'd ever been disappointed by Dave but and the the funny thing is I'm actually gonna go see Dave Chappelle tomorrow in London (laughs) so I'll maybe I'll report back on our next episode and say like what the differences between that that Netflix special and if anything's changed but I'm actually going to not necessarily be in his corner but I will give him some grace because I do think he is someone who seeks to understand sort of human nature and it does seem Mm. like he's somebody who wants to grow and he is a very intelligent person. And when he went into the whole thing about um, trans people, there is something that he said where he... He actually brought up J.K. Rowling, which is a whole other thing. A huge disappointment. Um, but he was saying one of her quotes, which was she said that, you know, gender is a fact. And even in that language that he was using, I just recognized that there was a lack of understanding, like a real lack of education and understanding around this topic because gender isn't a fact. Even now, the language that we use, there's a difference between gender and sex, And even in that language, uh, those things are evolving all the time. Like our understanding of what sex is, what gender is, it's continually evolving, not just socially, but also scientifically. Like there are research studies now that are starting to pinpoint, you know, genetically, like genetic commonalities between people who are trans and people who maybe are intersex or non-binary. So it's like an evolving conversation. And to me, I've just recognize that obviously there's a lot of growing that needs to happen on his part and I think that he's the type of person that might engage in that just before you go on though Alana there was one point that you just you just triggered it there when you were talking about the the JK Rowling bit straight after that he said and it was to tee up the joke about the difference between a genetically female and a trans woman's genitals but he said every single person in the world came from a woman's vagina. What the fuck has that got to do with gender? That's got nothing to do with gender. You're talking about gender. Why are you talking about being born of a woman? Like that, exactly. That's got nothing to do with gender. And he also made some sort of comparison between like blackface and being a trans woman. And I was like, well, race and gender identity are not the same. Mm-hmm. One is inherited and one is an expression of identity not the same thing. So it it just, to me, I was like, okay, clearly he just, he's not quite there with his understanding of these topics. And therefore I think if he just continued to sort of do the work outside of his standup and then maybe issued like a statement when he hopefully finally gets to a position where he understands the shit a little bit better. uh, I do think he is still redeemable, but I really think his comedy needs to, to leave that topic alone now. Cause I think he's just digging himself deeper into a hole. Um, but the other thing I also wanted to say is that 
His, uh, and this kind of goes back to our, our conversation around cancels culture from the last episode, but Dave Chappelle reminds me a lot of RuPaul <laughs> in that they're both two people who are just highly irreverent and they look at the world as like an absurd place. And I think when you have that sort of worldview, no sort of topic is off the table for yeah. making a joke out of it. And I can't really fault someone for that because you can't, that, yeah. you know, if people, people are going to be offended by different things. You have no control over what someone's going to be offended by. And it's a totally personal thing. Um, and I actually really appreciate Chappelle's irreverence. But the problem was that it just wasn't funny. Yeah. <laughs> like I've laughed at offensive things before and it just, this I just didn't find this very funny. I will say to this as well, I... I honestly think the reason it might not be that he's not worked on it, I think it came across as unfinished and undone because I think he was trying to weave together uh, like positions which fundamentally don't fit. Yeah. And I think you were speaking there, Alan, and you as well, Don, like his ability at the end when he's talking about his friend Daphne and he's talking about how, how shit she is and how she keeps bombing the show. But he manages in that like little segment at the end to afford her like a humanity, even when he's absolutely like tearing her apart and a humanity, which for some reason he's just flat out unwilling to give to any other of the subjects of his jokes. And a rudimentary sort of Google search would reveal half the things he's saying to just not even be true either. Like mm. obviously the baby killed someone he maintains he never killed it. He didn't kill this person intentionally. So that would, you know, you pull a, 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 the smallest thread there. I, I get you're trying to make a bigger point, but I think these things, these things do matter. And in the special, he references James Baldwin. And he says, uh, gay people are gay until they need to be white. Was James Baldwin white? James Baldwin's queerness seems to be something which has been altered almost entirely erased from yeah. history when you talk to any of these black people who put him up as this hero and it's the same with uh, I think it was, I read Justin Tinsley article who said it's the same with Angela Davis mm -hmm. how do people like Audre Lorde feel about this it's, you just talk about the blackness and the strength of, of, of identity it's, you know what's really bad I've got a painting of Angela Davis on my wall and I found out that she was gay reading the article that says a lot Exactly, and it's 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 again. This is part of a bigger question about a bigger sort of conversation about the black community and attitudes towards um, towards gay people and the, the LGBT community in in general. But his inability to see that, to acknowledge that, is is a blind spot, which I feel until he does address it, it's it's always going to be at the cost of 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 his comedy. Um, and you see at the end when he's like, well, this is going to be the last time I speak about it. I want this to be the end because until I'm sure that we're laughing on the same side, I don't want this. I don't want to make any more jokes. Well, you should have said that an hour and 15 minutes ago. This is the third special in a row where you've, where, where you've, you've, you've been four special in a row, sorry, where this has been your hobby horse. And I, I, I think that's just what comes at the cost of his jokes. The joke's out there because he needed to say this and at the end he feels kind of liberated. 
And I don't know if that's because he's a bit upset at what's happened to his friend Daphne Dorman uh, and what he sees as, you know, her being sort of forced to her death by the way she was treated. I don't know what the thinking is behind that, but hopefully, you know, he finds a bit of peace and he can come to a place where he can sort of understand that this is not him at his, at his best, in my opinion. No, agreed. I think also that, do you remember why he left the Chappelle show originally? He said that he was uncomfortable with the way that people were laughing and which people were laughing. And I'm going to do something that I think Dave has done in his last few specials, which is maybe draw an analogy with two things that aren't directly analogous to seemingly make a wiser point. But if you take a cursory look and see the people that are kind of imploring him to see the bigger picture, then I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of Dave is cancelled or any of that nonsense. It's, it's a sadness. It's a lot of people that sound, to be honest, like you, Dom, where it's like, please listen. Like the Elsie the Granderson uh, article isn't uh, an excoriation. It's kind of a... Uh, it's sad. You've got those on one side and then you've got the... <laughs> Always, always look at the kind of click on people that are you know really loud in supporting people and see what they've got in their bios, and I think that the the real tragedy is that Dave is now being vehemently supported by what I think might be the same kind of people that drove him out of his show in the first place, and there is something to be said there, and I think Dave Chappelle is very similar to Chimamanda Adichie in the sense of. Chimamanda, when she came out with um, Americana and Half of the Yellow Sun, was right in the middle of culture, really kind of setting it. And um, because the world hadn't was kind of really still very dark and very backwards on a lot of topics, somebody like her coming through and talking the way that she did um, was the liberal, was the person that kind of had these amazingly uh, nuanced points um, about the topics that she spoke on. Um, ditto with Chappelle, with Chappelle's show in the Killing Me Softly stand-up. And then culture moves on. Or more importantly, people are allowed to express themselves and be the way that they might want to be. And they don't sit so centrally within the culture. But more importantly, as they get more successful, they lose the lived experience that made them such powerful storytellers on the subjects in the first place. You know, Dave loves to tell us that he's rich and successful, and I'm really pleased for him that he is um, within this kind of capitalist society. But he also should beware that that kind of means that his experience as a black rich man is very different to the people that he's talking about, when he says the black community, he has to recognise he's in an elevated position. And his experience, his experience isn't my experience. It's not Dan's experience. It's not Dom's experience. And that's fine. That's completely, but you've got to do a bit more work. Like, um, I'm a, I, I write, I write plays, I write for TV. And there are certain voices that I know that I can't really write. I have to do a lot of research because... I'm not the little ragamuffin that used to run around um, talking a certain way. Um, you know, as, 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 as uh, my auntie might have once said, you know, I've got airs and graces now. And that's fine. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Um, but you've got to then do the work. 
And I think both of them are kind of railing against a world that's changed without recognising that they haven't done any, any of the work that they were doing to get to the position that they were in. I also just wanted to touch on something quickly, but uh, I think it was Dom, you were saying how you think that Dave Chappelle actually really cares about what people think. And I abs- I think as a comedian, I think any comedian who says that they don't care about people's response to their jokes is lying because to be a comedian, you need to get jokes. And if you have, if you keep repeating the attempt to make jokes on a certain topic and you keep getting more negative backlash than you do laughter, it's got to bug you as a comedian. And if you take that as an actual art form, which I think it really is, Um, because that's how you measure sort of the quality of what you're doing is, is people, are people laughing? And I think in this area, it makes sense to me why he keeps sort of lingering on these topics because they're the ones where people don't find it funny. But that's the thing is that he needs to, he needs to do the more personal work, like we've been saying to, if he is going to make jokes about this particular group of people, which to be honest, I think he should just let it go. And on top of but. that, you said, are people laughing? It's also which kind of people are laughing. And do you want to associate yeah. with the people that you're making laugh now? If not, then maybe you need to change something. Yeah, and is it a malicious sort of laughter? Or is it a like is it a hostile laughter? Or is it a, a laughing with you at the absurdity of life? Yeah. Well, do you... Do comedians, even as successful as him, get to the point where you'll welcome any kind of laughter? That's a good question. Dave has always set himself up as more than as, as more than a comedian. Dave is more than a comedian. If you go back to eight forty six, it's more than comedy. That was that was a catharsis, and there's not a lot of. Put it this way, nobody's listening to Michael McIntyre and being like, do you know what, he really spoke for the community there. And he's not trying to, and that's fine. Like, Michael McIntyre is who he is. But I think when you set yourself up for that, and you can still make the jokes as well, then this just... It's just... It's it's frightening how wrong-headed he... Or, or just how blunt... How blunt... He, that's it. It's frightening how blunt his comedy is when it comes to the topic that he doesn't really know about, when you compare it to 846, when he's talking about the nuances of race in America. Like, it's it's two different comedians. It's two different comedians. And it's like, you know, he gave some advice to Jeff, Jeff Ross. Jeff Ross always talks about this. He says that Dave Chappelle came to him when he was looking to branch out from roasts. And Dave Chappelle said to him, know your lane. Because and, and, Jeff Ross wanted to pull away because he didn't just want to be known as the roast master. And Dave Chappelle said, No, you're lame. And it's it, Dave, no, you're lame. When it comes to race, you are peerless. And when you use race as your sound, as your jumping point to then talk about all the other things, you're without peer. But when you take the most marginalized community, on the entire planet and use that as your jumping point to try and make the very valid points that you want to make falls flat my guy 
Can I say Wagwan? It's fine. Of course you can say Wagwan, man. <laughs> Just don't put on one of those be- what one of those Rasta hats with the fake dreads. If you don't put that on, you say Wagwan, you're fine. Mm. And don't say it like Wagwan. People used to text that where I'm from. <laughs> W-O-G-1. And there's, there's, uh, there's far too much wrong with that. <laughs> you are an errant space bar away from being <laughs> You trouble. know what I mean? <laughs> right, guys. That has been a pleasure. A pleasure. Take it easy, guys. We out. Zip it up and zip it out. <laughs> <laughs> zip it <do-do. laughs>